Hi, and welcome to the U.S. Center for Safe Sports podcast series. Here at the center, we are dedicated to making athlete well-being and safety the centerpiece of sport culture. Our hosts are experts in the field who will connect with athletes, parents, volunteers, officials, staff members, and coaches to gain thoughtful perspectives on getting the best experience out of sports. Get ready to learn valuable information, shareable tips, and helpful resources to keep you engaged in the game. Happy listening and welcome, Leslie. Hello, and welcome to Keeping Your Child Safe in Sports. Presented by the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. You can find us online at www.uscenterforsafesport.org. We're here today with Sandy Runkle, the Program Director for Prevent Child Abuse Indiana, to discuss how caregivers and parents can approach the topic of child safety with their high school athletes. And we'll begin by reviewing their physical safety. As we have said on previous podcasts about all stages of your child's development, as an athlete and as a human being, parent-child communication is essential. For all you listeners with high school athletes, we know that communication can sometimes be a daunting task. One grunt means fine, a nod means all good. If you ask a yes or no question, you won't get more than a yes or no answer. So Sandy, how do you keep the lines of communication open and protect your high school athletes' health and safety? Well, you're right. It it can be uh, challenging communicating with with teenagers. Um, Even the old tried and true open-ended questions that may be effective for uh, middle school children that may not work for your high school athlete. So some options that, that you might try uh, to help assure that the conversations are kind of informal and a normal part of everyday communication. That's, that's kind of the, the trick of the trade there. So, you know, first thing, if you have a competitive athlete um, and, and they don't have like a license to drive yet or, or even access to a, to a car, uh, spending that time in the car with them um, that can be a great opportunity to kind of get them to, to open up and engage, uh, especially if it's something a little bit more sensitive, because then your child's not looking right at you. So they're a little bit more likely to open up and, and feel more comfortable sharing when there's that, you know, n- not all that direct eye contact. Um, and I, I know it's tough in today's day and age with with everybody going, you know, hither and yon, but um, meals, if, if you can commit to, to meals uh, as a family, that might be another opportunity to engage in extended conversations. Um, and even if your agenda is to find out how your child feels about a, a coach or a trainer or their experience on a team, you might want to begin with a totally different subject to get him or her in the mood to, to share with you. So, you know, share something about your day. Or ask, you know, their opinion on on a a lighter topic to kind of get the conversation flowing, and then you can gradually transition to talking about their current status uh, in their sport. So, you know, as they're eating and passing food, that's kind of a distraction, and that can take the focus off of them, uh, so they feel a bit freer to express themselves. Uh, and certainly, if your child's sport is one that you both can play together, then all the better. That's healthy for everybody and then you you know again you might get them to to open up a little bit better so find a field or a court and get to get out there and start playing so whatever techniques you find successful 
uh, it's just important to continue to pursue those conversations with your uh, child about how they're doing and, and how you can stay involved in their lives. Uh, teenagers are just at that age where, you know, we want to give them the skills for adulthood, but in that we want to give them space to explore their independence. Uh, and we know we need to make sure we stay in the know with what's happening at school and with their friends and, and on their sports teams, uh, especially when it comes to preventing, you know, bullying, harassments and other forms of abuse that uh, can occur in sports. Thank you, Sandy. That makes a lot of sense. But I'm wondering, as the stakes get higher, how likely are high school athletes, particularly those, you know, either trying to earn a spot on the varsity team or actively pursuing the chance to participate in collegiate athletics, how likely are they going to voice any complaints or concerns about their coaches or teammates if they think that that might then impact their position or playing time? Well, that's a good point. Um, but as long as you have their trust and you serve as that engaged listener, you should be able to help them uh, to realize that their safety takes precedence over making a team or securing more playing time. Uh, you know, often all it takes is that empathetic ear to really make a difference. So if you give a teenager the time to express their frustrations, they may be able to process solutions at the same time. Now, if your child comes home after practice and appears exceedingly happy, remark on that demeanor and you know, ask them enthusiastically as to what made a practice or a game so good. If your child seems down, give them some time and space and then again, use that dinner time maybe as an opportunity to empathize you know, you can even just kind of bring it up um, informally, uh, you know, gee, you seemed upset when you came home tonight, you know, what's up? Uh, maybe a close friend got a top spot in the, in the next meet or is starting in the next game. Uh, and that gives you a window to kind of brainstorm ideas for your child to get the opportunity next time. Um, and if your athlete mentions something the coach or trainer did to either your athlete or someone else, the fact that they shared it with you opens that door for you to carefully, you know, ask more questions. And how do you approach it when it's perhaps a coach uh, that your child has had before and, and really enjoyed being on that, that coach's team? Well, you know, that transition to more competitive high school and, and club teams that does, you know, often coincide with a change in, in that coaching style that maybe your child was used to. Um, you know, as the commitment to sports becomes more physically demanding through increased, you know, strength and, and cardio training, uh, and it becomes more emotionally, emotionally demanding due to increased goals and expectations, you know, teenagers will respond differently. Um, some might be really energized by that increased expectation. You know, they, they want to put in all the, the time and hard work. Others may not. Uh, the more you keep the lines of communication open, the greater the likelihood that you will be able to learn if your child has burned out from, you know, too many years of, of playing. Uh, or maybe they're frustrated with the, their lack of improvement. Or if a coach's behavior has crossed the line to become physically or emotionally abusive. When you say physically abusive, I suspect that 
you know, most parents would think of that meaning, you know, a coach hitting or slapping or burning the kinds of child abuse that we stereotypically think of as taking place, you know, with a parent and a child at home. But with sports, the the notion of physical abuse may manifest itself differently. Can you offer some examples of when a coach's behavior crosses that line from enforcing discipline that helps the team um, and and team rules to abusive behavior? Yeah, that's that's a good question because, um, you know, all the the examples you used are, are certainly examples of physical maltreatment, but you're right. Um, you know, there, there could be uh, other circumstances. So it is important to distinguish between discipline from abuse. Uh, you know, if your child comes home and reports that, you know, he or she was removed from the starting lineup, it's important to understand why. Uh, removal, for, removal for inappropriate behavior, um, like late or missed practices, is discipline. It's not abuse. Uh, requiring athletes to run excessive laps following a per- poor performance when their bodies are already fatigued, uh, prohibiting water breaks or directing players to re-enter games when they show signs of injury. Those are examples of coaching behavior that might cause physical harm to an athlete's body, and that can be considered abusive. Thank you for clarifying that. And, you know, indeed, it is a sad fact that there are some coaches who have crossed that line um, to become physically abusive. But what about emotional abuse? Do coaches' criticisms and so-called motivational comments cross lines, too? I'm glad you bring that up because I think oftentimes people don't think about, you know, the psychological and emotional piece to this. Um, given the fact that teenagers are particularly sensitive to criticism, especially when it's received in front of their peers, it's important to be very clear on the information uh, that your child might reveal. Um, a well-intentioned coach with a style your child is not accustomed to may lose patience and, you know, they may say something that feels verbally abusive to your athlete or the athlete on the receiving end. You know, if your child discloses a situation that you feel, you know, warrants reporting, alert the league authorities. Um, If you feel it was more of an inappropriate comment you know, encourage your child to approach the the coach and explain the impact of his or her words. You know, the coach may not be aware. Um, That tough love approach that works for some athletes most certainly does not work for all. And coaches need feedback so they can learn from their mistakes. Uh, High school athletes, you know, they spend a lot of time um, you know, a lot of their non-academic time with their coaches, giving them the power to have either a hugely positive impact on their lives or, you know, unfortunately, a very hurtful one. Um, and, you know, research just consistently shows that humiliation is just as painful to teens as is physical abuse, and it evokes the same psychological stress reactions. So, you know, it's really important to provide education and other professional development opportunities to coaches. Uh, that is just so vital. Um, there's so many areas that adults need to be aware of and address when it comes to youth that it's you know, just so important to, to provide these resources to coaches to help prevent issues or to intervene if, if they do see signs of trouble. Yes, we are all very grateful that Safe Sport does provide that kind of education and professional development. 
Um, we've talked about physical and emotional abuse, but we cannot conclude this podcast without addressing the very real fear that parents have of how they can protect their high school athletes from sexual abuse. Studies show that by the time they reach high school, most young people in the United States are sexually active, with many having sexual intercourse by age 17. And even as they're engaged in these intimate acts, we know um, they might actually feel confused about the kinds of signals their body is giving them. Can you talk a little bit about arousal and consent and how parents should address both of these with their high school athletes? Yes, and I know this is not the easiest topic to um, talk about, so I'm, I'm really glad that, that you brought it up. Um, you know, the first point I want to make is that these kinds of conversations should begin long before high school. The earlier parents and children normalize talking about sexual anatomy and experiences, you know, the easier it will be to initiate a discussion when there is a potential problem. Um, certainly the key message for teens is that arousal does not mean consent or even real interest. Again, it's a message that you should begin teaching much earlier, but it's important to keep reinforcing because many abusers, they are skilled at convincing their targets that because they are aroused, that they were willing participants. And that's just not so. Um, again, I know these are tough conversations to have, but at moments like these, uh, parents and caregivers need to find the courage to have that uncomfortable talk. It's crucial for your child and for you. Um, again, though, the earlier you start having conversations with your child about body safety and boundaries, uh, including their respecting other people's boundaries, the easier it will be to kind of amp up those conversations as they get older. So, you know, just make it a part of your routine to check in on your child's uh, relationship with his or her coach. Um, if anything kind of sounds an alarm, like he offered to give me a private lesson before the next meet, or he keeps commenting on how my new leotard looks on me, you need to make sure your child knows what is and what is not okay and report any abusive behaviors to the league authorities, including the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. Um, a private lesson approved by a parent in a public place is okay. A secret private lesson, that's not. And coaches should not comment on any athlete's appearance. Um, we also need to keep in mind that about a third of child sexual abuse occurs when it is youth on youth. That is why it is so imperative to educate coaches about supervising, understanding signs, and good child protection policies. Tough, but important conversations indeed, and, and your emphasis on, you know, starting young and continuing to have that open lines of communication um, is truly essential. Are there other steps uh, you suggest that parents take to prevent child sexual abuse? Oh, there's lots. Um, you know, another important step you can take is to continue expanding your child's circle of safe adults. Um, for many reasons, teenagers benefit from having other close adult relationships, close relatives, you know, neighbors, teachers, with whom they trust uh, and feel a close connection to. Even in the closest of parent-child relationships, the shame that often comes with being sexually abused may make teenagers, you know, uncomfortable sharing with their parents or caregivers. 
you know, it's also wise to be in touch with the parents of your athletes, teammates, and close friends. You can serve as protectors for each other's children and share observation and resources. Sandy, I can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise today and Vanessa for all the work that the U.S. Center for Safe Sport continues to do. Listeners, we hope you will go to www.uscenterforsafesport.org to access other 